Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity. Stories of perseverance. Stories of accomplishments. And maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez. And I want to hear your story. And welcome, everyone. Yes, it is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast, and I am your host, Dave D2 Dolomite Martinez. And yes, this is episode 148, uh, releasing here on May 15th. And yes, we are in it. Uh, it's spring. It's starting to warm up. The morning is still a little cool, um, but it's starting to get warm again. We're starting to feel that humidity. Um, we're getting into that, uh, that uh, time of the year where... Uh, where runs start getting a little bit more difficult. We start cursing a little bit uh, because of the humidity. Things get a little bit tougher, but uh, that's all part of running in Atlanta and what makes us stronger and uh, and keeps us going. So just make sure that you are hydrating, that you're uh, taking enough fluids, not only during your run, but after your run. They help with recovery and help you just overall in your general uh, health and fitness. So uh, make sure you, uh, you're, you're taking that uh, recommended uh, amount of water throughout the day. Um, speaking of heat and it warming up, we do have the Hotlanta Half Marathon coming up uh, just about a month away at this point, June 11th. And it is the 10-year uh, anniversary. We've been a part of it from the very beginning um, it does take place down at the World of Coca-Cola, uh, down at uh, Pemberton Place, right by the Georgia, Georgia Aquarium. And if you haven't seen already, I'll uh, leave a link uh, in the show notes. But I did um, ride the course. I did do kind of a preview, um, you know, course of the, uh, you know, of, uh, of the, of the race, uh, kind of pointing out some of the locations where you may want to slow down a little bit, some areas where you may be able to recover and just kind of give you a little bit of a tour of uh, the city of Atlanta. And uh, so if you're on the fence, not quite sure, there's still time to sign up. Take a look at the video. Uh, it is a challenging course, but it is certainly doable. It can certainly be fun uh, as long as you're, you know, got your training in and as long as you start acclimating to the humidity that humidity that we currently have here uh, in Atlanta. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, mornings are kind of, I think, in the high 60s, maybe low 70s. And in the afternoons now, we're already getting into the 80s and mid 80s. And uh, yeah, we've got plenty of rain coming through. And uh, so that just helps with that humidity. And yeah. Um, and for me, I'm actually looking forward to the humidity, uh, which is kind of maybe a weird thing. Most people probably wouldn't, uh, you know, think of that. Uh, but um, I've got some training coming up that I think uh, the humidity humidity is going to uh, help me out and pay off. So I just wrapped up, uh, as in the previous podcast mentioned, was uh, did a, a gravel ride. I had a couple a trail run, a gravel ride, and then just wrapped up the hundred mile move for Grady. Uh, that also ended up being a a great day. Um, got some rain overnight. You know, a little cool in the morning. It allowed the the day to be just pleasant. The sun came out. Beautiful day. Um, managed to, to finish the 100 miles. Um, 
really with no issues. And actually, I think it was uh, by far my best 100-mile performance. Um, felt really great, uh, both mentally and, and physically. Um, never really cramped up. I think my nutrition was on point. I was able to ride at a faster pace due to the training I've been doing on Zwift and the training program associated with Zwift that I was doing uh, in the months leading up to the event. Also was able to ride in a couple groups uh, at the very beginning, a very fast group that uh, allowed me to make up uh, a significant amount of time at the beginning and then uh, you know, ran uh, and, and paired up with a smaller group, uh, five of us, uh, and uh, you know, actually helped one of, the, uh, you know, one of them as I came across. Uh, they actually had a flat tire and was able to you know, help them with the f- uh, flat tire. They couldn't get the, the tire off the rim to replace the tube, so I uh, managed to do that. And then we kind of worked together for you know, probably about uh, 20, 30 miles uh, together. And then I was like, I just can't keep at this pace, and I kind of backed off. So the last 40 miles rode pretty much by myself, but still very consistent, had a great day, felt really strong. And that sort of kind of sets up my base training for what I've got coming next. And I mentioned, I think in the past, early in the year, one of the key races I want to do was to do the Leadville Trail Marathon. Now I'm about, you know, uh, you know, by the time the release of this podcast, I'm, I'm out uh, four weeks out. So I've, I can do the distance. I've gone out and done up to, you know, almost 30 miles. So I know I can do the, uh, the you know, 26 miles, um, but it's the elevation. And that's where the challenge comes in. And this is where humidity can play a role in getting me prepared. So that's the next step is once again, start building up my mileage. I haven't run now in about two weeks, um, just do the recovery, but I've got the, the bike in. So that's helped. I've got a good base. Um, now I'm getting to the point where I was like, okay, let's start adding the mileage again. Let's start at around 10 miles and start, slowly start increasing it through the week. Um, and running in that humidity and, and, uh, you know, research, uh, that I read, you know, a few years ago was that humidity can actually help with, uh, elevation. Um, I think it's just the thickness of the, you know, of the air and the humidity that makes it harder to breathe that sort of helps replicate, you know, that lack of oxygen at higher elevations. So, um, yeah, I didn't believe that at first until a couple of years ago when I went out there and um, ran. And it wasn't until I got right around, you know, 12,000 feet right above tree line where I started feeling a little bit lightheaded and had a little bit of issues. And at that point, it becomes more of a hike anyway, just be, based on the elevation, based on the terrain, based on the steepness of the terrain. It ends up being more of a, um, you know, of a run hike. So at that point, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm not going out to win any race, but I definitely you know, want the, to, to make that running at elevation, you know, uh, and acclimate to that as best as possible. So some people feel like you can, you should go out there a week beforehand to get acclimated. Um, I've heard, uh, also that you want to, you know, maybe you want to get there, you know, the day before that way your body, you can kind of trick your body. Your body hasn't quite figured out that it's at elevation. So for me, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get there the day before, um, and hopefully along with, uh, training in the humidity will help me kind of get prepared for that. So I've got that coming up, uh, you know, next month, so about four weeks away. So I'm looking forward to that, uh, doing some traveling and uh, going back out to Colorado. It should be uh, cool. I think someone even mentioned that at that time of the year, they will probably still be snow at the top of the mountain. So uh, looking forward to that. That should be uh, kind of fun and interesting and just a, a, chain, a change of scenery uh, for me. Um, so very cool. So this week on the podcast, uh, we've got Rachel Finich, 
Um, so she is the president of the Georgia chapter uh, National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Um, she's been uh, with uh, them for four and a half years, recently uh, was promoted to that uh, title of president of that chapter. Um, she's also served as the director of development in the Southeast for, uh, for multiple sclerosis for MS. Um, and she and her husband, you know, and the reason she got involved with this is because her husband, you know, lives with uh, MS, and she also has other family members that uh, have MS. So this is a, you know, you know, it's a topic that uh, you, we probably don't. You know, I know we haven't talked about it in the past, but obviously, health and fitness play a role. And you know, I prior to this conversation was familiar with the term MS and multiple sclerosis, but really didn't know a lot about it. Even I think a decade ago when I was really doing a lot of photography, I volunteered to um, photograph uh, their event, their bike MS event uh, down in, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Callaway Garden, Carrollton, Georgia, or somewhere in that area. It's now being held out in LaGrange, Georgia. So still kind of in that area, South Georgia, sort of kind of in the Columbus, uh, Georgia area. And so I was familiar with um, you know, the National uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society, but really didn't know a lot about it, except I knew that it affected the body as far as um, you know, at least mobility. And so diving into this, I found a little bit more about it, got a little bit more informed about it, and interesting uh, as to, you know, there's no... Uh, cure for it. Um, it's even harder to diagnose. Um, there's a lot of symptoms that you know may may point to other things, but may also point to uh, MS. And so we get into that conversation. We talk about the research. We talk about you know how to manage it because while there is no cure, there are ways to you know at least you know especially if it's caught early on to manage it, to almost slow down any progression um, and sort of kind of, you know, still maintain a great quality of life if it's maintained. And there even then there's different degrees of uh, severity of MS. So being able to catch that early on only helps, you know, um, improve that quality of life. But the hardest part is getting diagnosed and really kind of pushing to get an accurate diagnosis and looking and trying to correlate the various symptoms and, and, you know, how often those symptoms, you know, come up to really understanding whether you do have MS and whether you should go out and, and talk to your um, primary uh, care physician to get further uh, information uh, uh, and truly get it diagnosed. So we're going to dive into that conversation, how uh, physical fitness and running and cycling and all that can get into, uh, you know, managing, um, you know, the causes, the potential causes, the thing, because there's no real uh, understanding as to what causes it, but there's some things based on research that can potentially trigger MS. Um, it's not genetic, it's not a viral type of infection, but there are some things there that, you know, viruses can trigger um, MS, you know, genetic could play a role in triggering uh, MS. Uh, so we'll dive all into that conversation with Rachel uh, Finich right after this break. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet whether you're a runner walker fitness enthusiast or simply need comfortable shoes to wear we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment it's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in america by our fans visit any of our nine big peach running company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis go to bigpeachrunningcompany.com to learn more 
And welcome back, everyone. So I have got uh, Rachel Finich, um, president of the Georgia chapter of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Um, welcome, Rachel. Thanks. Hey, Dave. How are you doing? Great, great. So I know we partner up with, uh, you know, you partner up with one of our stores recently and you reached out to us. Uh, the MS Walk was just uh, last month and you've got another event in the fall. But, you know, wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about it because obviously, um, you know, MS is something that a lot of people may not be aware of. They may have heard of it, uh, have seen, yeah. you know, you know, it has a charity that people are, you know, um, you know, asking for money or donations, but not truly understand what it means or the symptoms and, and the treatment and any of that. Um, so I wanted to get you on here to kind of discuss a little bit about that and how sort of kind of as far as in our wheelhouse is, is the being active, whether it's through running, walking, cyclists, cycling, it's just a way of being active and how that can play a role in managing MS. So let's start off first with how you got involved with um MS, as far as the, the National Multiple uh, Sclerosis Society. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I first got involved with multiple sclerosis because of, I actually have four people in my family living with MS, including my husband. Um, we are 37 now. We were about 26 years old um, when he was diagnosed, so about a year and a half after getting married. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy because you go from the world is my oyster. I'm young. I'm 26. I'm active. I'm running every day. We're doing all these things. He could run faster than me. He still can, by the way. Um, and, you know, we went from that to going, what is our life going to look like? Like, what is this? We've heard of this, but again, we don't really quite know what MS is. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the initial connection. Obviously, living with that is something that, you know, right now we do not have a cure for. So it is something that's going to impact us for the rest of our lives. But, you know, you learn how to to work with that. Um, and so that's initially what got me connected. Um, I reached out to the MS Society for support and for help. Um, I reached our MS Navigator program. We have um, basically caseworkers who are available 24 hours a day um, to help guide people through their journeys. Um, and they connected me with the society, got me involved in Bike MS. I bought a bike, as many people are familiar with, um, learned how to ride, got connected from there. And um, you know, when I had the opportunity in my career, came to work for the society and um, I've been with them for about four and a half years now. So, so, you know, you said that you didn't really know what MS was. So let's explain yeah. what that is to, because I didn't know what it was until I was prepping for this conversation. I'm sure there's other people, like I said, that have heard of it, but don't really understand. So tell us uh, what is yeah. MS? Absolutely. And that's one of our honestly biggest challenges is that a lot of people kind of have this little bit of an idea, but they don't quite know what MS is. Um, and that's our biggest challenge, right? Because number one, from a support perspective with family and friends, if you, you know, you know what diabetes is, right? You might know what heart disease is. You might know what cancer is, obviously. And you might have an idea of how to support the people in your life who are going through those challenges. But a lot of people, when they hear MS, a lot of those symptoms sometimes are hidden so you don't quite know how to support that person. And that's our main goal is to know how to support those people in your life. On the other side of that, it's also empowering people so they're familiar enough if they ever do see those signs and those symptoms, they know how to advocate for themselves. It's such a big side of it. So MS essentially is a disease of the nervous system. So essentially your white blood cells in your body normally build your body up. In MS, they get confused essentially and start attacking the myelin, which coats your which coats your nerve sheath essentially. So if you think about it like an iPhone cable, 
if you twist that iPhone cable around enough, which a lot of people do as kind of a nervous tick, that cord might start to malfunction, right? Because mm -hmm. that cord inside is getting damaged. That's essentially what happens with MS. So if you think of your nerve as that iPhone cable and you've got that nerve kind of going through the middle, you've got that nice plastic coating, in MS, your white blood cells can attack that sheath. And when it gets damaged, your nerves start malfunctioning and basically your body gets confused. Um, and because your nerves go from literally the top of your head to the tip of your toes, that can mean a lot of different symptoms for different people. So anything from optic neuritis, which is a current typical first symptom. So that's like spots in your vision or losing your vision. Um, that could mean um, balance issues, coordination, um, behavioral issues sometimes, you know, memory, um, really anything. Make, feeling your, your hands or your feet are really cold or really heavy. Um, the way our nerves work is so intricate. So it really can affect so many different things. And that's why it's, it's sometimes very hard to diagnose MS. And that's why really that knowledge and that awareness is key. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I found, um, I guess, surprising in that, I think that was based on my sort of, uh, you know, perception, not knowing, first of all, what MS is, that it was something that really, in my mind, affected people older. Because I thought it was more of a degenerative type of, you know, disease. And yeah. so I was surprised that really most of the, those that have been diagnosed are much younger. Yeah, we actually, so as of last year, I believe it was, we actually identified there's over 1 million people in the United States currently living with MS. And it's actually the number one non-traumatic cause of permanent disability in young adults. And the reason we think of it, I know when, when I say we, because it affects the family, right? When we were first diagnosed, um, you know, it's kind of seen as this older disease because prior to now, really, um, getting diagnosed and going through that process, that could take three to five years plus. And a lot of people, by the time you're really getting advanced where you're having so many symptoms, a lot of people were older. Um, and the medications weren't where they are today. And so a lot of people get, weren't able to get on that medication right away. And we're seeing this kind of permanent and progressive disability. Um, today, we went from even just in the period that I've been affected by MS, we've gone from, I think, four or five medications to over 20. Wow. So that's now 20 different options that people have. And with the awareness, we now have a pediatric MS division. We now have younger kids as young as two to three years old getting diagnosed with MS, which is crucial because, again, that means people are being aware of it earlier. They're able to advocate for themselves earlier and they're able to get on medication earlier, which means less of that progressive disability, hopefully, that we've seen kind of in, to your point, that kind of older population. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, I mean, I looked up, looked it up and, and, and there's so many different symptoms and not any one of them is a clear indicator of MS. It could be an indicator of something else. It could be just general. I mean, like one of the symptoms is, you know, fatigue. I mean, that could be, I mean, it could be, you know, I just ran a marathon. I just ran a 5k that could give you fatigue, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's MS or anything else. And it's, probably a combination of things or more of a repeated pattern over time. So it's really hard to just diagnose on the surface without truly having sort of like a good uh, medical history, uh, I guess, and sort of kind of keeping track of a lot of these symptoms and then seeing a, a, a professional, a doctor, you know, that can truly help diagnose because it, it could be something else. But, you know, like I said, it, it, you know, it does affect the, the central nervous system, but, you know, there's fatigue. 
I saw there's walking difficulties. So you could say, oh, well, someone's clumsy, you know, you know, could they have MS? Well, it, just, it could be that they're just uncoordinated, but you don't really know that on just that one symptom alone. You yeah. said vision problems, even bladder, uh, bowel problems, um, numbness Absolutely. or ting, uh, tingling, um, you know, pain, itching, even emotional changes as well. So, I, I mean, there's so many different of, the, of these symptoms. Not one is really a clear indicator that says you have this. And I mean, I could imagine for hypochondriacs who go up online and they search a symptom are probably misdiagnosing themselves or really kind of, you know, freaking themselves yeah. out over potentially whether it's MS or something else. And it may be nothing at all, but that just, that just means that it's really kind of hard to easily diagnose. And as you said, it may take several years. Yeah. So the good thing is, you know, and I always encourage people, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you feel like something is wrong. And a lot of people kind of have that feeling of like, I know it's something, right? So I think it's part of encouraging people to be advocates for themselves. You know, when we were first diagnosed, you know, we were told you're so young, you know, you're 26, you're staying up late, you're running, you're going all these things, you're fine, you're healthy, right? But we knew something wasn't right. Um, and so we had to keep pushing for that. Um, and so I tell people, if, if you just feel like, and a lot of with MS fatigue, it's beyond just being tired. It's like you ran a marathon every single morning, thing, right? If you're David Goggins, that might not be a problem. But if you're any one of us normal mortals, that might be an issue, right? So it's, it's a little bit above and beyond. Or for example, you know, if you are seeing kind of intermittent spots in your vision, go to your ophthalmologist, tell them, hey, I've been Googling online. I see that it might be something called a mess, right? Because at the worst, you're wrong and that's okay. And that's great. And hopefully it's not, you know what I mean? But if it is, then at least you're on that path, right? And the, the right now kind of gold standard um, for getting diagnosed with a mess is, you know, and typically if you go to like an ophthalmologist or a neurologist or one of those people, they'll start to kind of piece it together and ask for additional, for additional testing. But right now the gold standard is kind of the MRI. Um, because what that does, when your body attacks those nerve cells, it basically releases a chemical that will light up on MRI scans. And so you can see these little, almost like we call them plaques. Um, and that shows new activity that's been happening within the last like six to seven weeks approximately. That's kind of the number one thing where, you know, and a lot of people, what's crazy is you might not also not have any symptoms at some point, or maybe you just have something small, right? Maybe it's just this like buzzing in your hands, right? Because a lot of people think like, oh, I can't have a mess unless it's so progressed, right? Mm -hmm. For some people, it literally could just be like, oh, I have this weird tingling in my fingers. And so you do an MRI, but oh my God, all of a sudden you have all these plaques. Then you're like, well, you definitely have a mess because MS is the only disease that causes those plaques to light up like that on your nervous system. But then again, that's great because you can get on medication you can start, you know, exercising as you're comfortable and able, you know, looking at your diet, all those different factors, getting the support that you need and kind of going from there. So that's kind of the, the definitive way is that MRI and then also sometimes um, a lumbar puncture as well. So it was interesting that you said that because, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of this, but what you just said is that there could be varying degrees to where it could be very small, very unnoticeable to okay. something that is like, yes, this is really a more severe case of it. And in, in between there, there's, there's a range as well. So, so if someone doesn't know, like you said, it could be tingling in the fingertips and they may just write that off as whatever, you know, and not necessarily, but it could be MS, but at the same time, not 
necessarily debilitating or or something that anyone would necessarily point out and say, well, yes, that's MS. So it could be completely missed. So, and that's what happens a lot of times, right? And that's why a lot of people historically have not been diagnosed until later in life, because maybe originally it's just that little tingling of the fingers, right? And they're like, okay, well, or, you know, for my cousin who lives with MS, it was, oh, well, she kind of got these little weird spots in her vision, but other than that, she didn't really have anything, mm-hmm. right? And so she was like, okay, well, maybe just sometimes I get stressed or maybe it's allergies or maybe, you know, who knows? Um, or maybe I have migraines, right? Because migraines can cause that. So what's interesting though, is that the level of symptoms that you're experiencing doesn't always correlate to how far advanced the, the disease is in your body, which is a little scary, right? right. So we want right. to try and find that. Um, but also there are different types of MS. So there are some where it's called relapsing remitting, where you, you know, you, you are start at zero, you have a flare, and then maybe you go back to zero. Um, and then there's different kinds where, you know, it may, where you have relapsing progressing, where, you know, you, you start at zero, you have a flare, and then you go backwards, you kind of gain some of that function back, but you don't necessarily go to zero, you maybe go to 20. Mm-hmm. Right. Then there's some people where even when they're on medication, everything unfortunately continues to advance. Um, and we're still working on ways to stop that. But so there's different types. And also the type of MS you have can change at any point, unfortunately. So, again, that's another reason to get on medication as soon as possible to, to make sure you have that support. Um, so that way, you know, you can monitor that and make sure you know how to deal with that. So let's get back because you said, you know, to your husband, to, to you know, something that's yeah. that's close to you. And you said, you know, symptoms that came up was the spots in his vision. So and obviously you, you said that, you know, thought it was maybe been being tired. He was going through, I think you said, you know, pharmacy school, whatever. So studying and tiredness and that could easily be written off. So what at what point did you did you and your husband say there's more to this? And then what were the next steps to finally getting a diagnosis? Yeah. Well, so thankfully in my family, I do, like I said, have several other people that do have MS. And so that was, I think, a help on our end um, in terms of kind of putting two and two together. But then I think, again, there's oftentimes where you just, you know, something isn't right. Um, I also live with an autoimmune disease. Mine's a little bit different. Um, But you just kind of have a sense of like, "Mm, doesn't quite add up, right? Mm. Um, and so for us, it was, you know, just one day we were like, okay, we need answers and we need to kind of push this further. And thankfully we went to Northside hospital, um, which is incredible. Now they're actually one of, um, the MS society's biggest supporters here in Georgia. Um, but we went to them, we found the right doctor and they said, okay, let's get you in with an MRI first thing in the morning and get you in with a neurologist. And, but our journey from start to getting to a neurologist was, I would say probably six months, mm-hmm. We were very, very lucky. A lot of people, if they're in a more rural area, might not have a healthcare team that's as familiar with MS or, you know, might not have an MS center near them. Um, And so we were very, very fortunate in having that background, but then also having ready access to resources like Northside and other facilities here in the Atlanta area. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm, you know, I know with the way the healthcare system works and stuff and it, it, things could take a, a little bit of, t- of time. So yeah. just to share a little bit of, you know, like I don't have anyone that I know that has been diagnosed with MS. However, there's some correlation there that, and that's, this is why this topic sort of intrigues me, or at least I'm interested in knowing more about. Yeah. So um, at the end of last year, my dad uh, was having some issues. 
he was falling, he was tripping, he was, you know, and so got an MRI and they saw something there. And we've been trying to get, you know, tests done and, you know, because of the way the insurance and all that works, it just takes some time. He just finally got a spinal tap last week. I think today he might, as, as we're recording this, I think he might get at least the results of that. You know, I have another friend who uh, also, uh, her mom, who has, they've always said, oh, she's sort of kind of clumsy, she's tripped and, and this and has a bad knee. And they saw something through an MRI and they're like, well, we should probably get a spinal tap. It might be MS. You know, so now these things are like, and, and they may be, they may not be, we don't know until, you know, it's diagnosed. So there's things like that recently in, in my world, my, you know, I'm starting to see the, 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 the MRI conversation coming up, seeing something there that doesn't look quite right. Um, and then saying, well, we need to take it to the next step and, you know, get a spinal tap you know, and, and, yeah. and see what, you know, what, what, uh, you know, becomes of that and, and truly get a diagnosis, you know, now in, in the case of my dad, you know, he was going through that time period. And I think a lot of that contributed was due to medication. He was being, I guess, over-medicated for high blood pressure and several other things. And I think the combination of the meds, uh, made him really dizzy made him weak. Uh, I mean, he could barely, you know, get up and walk. He was having all these other issues. And then by getting him off the medication, he's now back to where he was before. And so he's able to move around. He's got mobility. He's got his strength back. However, we still don't know what was in that MRI. So there's still some yeah. investigation. Once again, we're being advocates and, you know, to try to push and say, like, well, we need answers. That's great. Yeah. And I'm so sorry you're going through that with him. I mean, Definitely make sure that you're seeing a neurologist, yeah. you know, if there's things that are showing up in an MRI um, and, you know, just keep at it. If you don't feel like, you know, you've gotten the right answer, find a new, I always tell people like, if you're not driving, it's just like a therapist or anything else, you know, if you don't feel like you're driving with that healthcare professional there, that's the beauty of living in Georgia is we have, we have Northside Hospital here. We have the Shepherd Center, which is incredible. It's a premier spine Institute. Um, you know, we also have the Atlanta Neuroscience and in, in, Institution so and Foundation. So, I mean, there's so many resources here. So if you don't feel like you're partnered with the right person, find somebody else who you feel like is taking it seriously until you feel like you've gotten the right answer. So, yeah. And then, and then actually, yeah, that's one of the things we, you know, uh, we felt that our primary care physician was um, making maybe some misdiagnosis, wasn't taking things quite seriously. So we've switched, we're still, you know, working with a neurologist and trying to get that. Even the neurologist has been slow and we're like, maybe we need to find a new neurologist, you know. Yeah. You know, they're down in Florida, so we have to deal with the resources available down in the Orlando area. And, uh, but, you know, I, yeah, as you said, you gotta be your own advocate. You gotta kind of try to find the answers on your own um, because the way the system is, it's not a perfect system. Sometimes it works. Um, but really you have to look out for yourselves or for your family members and, you know, either be your own advocate or be an advocate for those closest to you. And so that's kind of what we're doing right now. So I so said, there's certain things that as this topic kind of came up and like I said, I'm not saying, you know, and you know, I don't know what the diagnosis is going to be, but yeah. there's some similarities there and it could be something completely different, but the process to finding out and getting some sort of diagnosis is still the same you know, is, is getting the test yeah. done, you know, uh, and, and being that advocate and kind of pushing for answers because, you know, something's not right. 
And I also, you know, encourage you or, you know, anyone who's going through this, again, you know, Google the National Multiple Sports Society and the MS Navigators because, you know, again, our healthcare providers, they're fantastic. They're doing, I think, the best work they possibly can across the board. But again, you know, sometimes it might not be the right person for you or, you know, maybe it's you need an MS specialist or a neurologist who's more familiar with diseases of that nature, right? So, but our MS navigators can point people towards that. We have a kind of a bank of people that we typically, that we've worked with. We have people that are kind of see a large influx of, of patients who have these types of diseases. So we can kind of help point you in the right direction and help support through that process as well. That's what they're there for. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I, you know, I went to the to the website and got a lot of information. I mean, you guys, um, what's, what's on the website is very thorough. Um, I feel like I said, before this conversation, you know, a few days ago, I had really no true understanding of what, you know, MS, you know, is, and then just, just to read up and just kind of have a better understanding of it. So, um, and I think people are like, the question that I was surprised is that, you know, that I had was like, well, what, you know, what causes MS? You know, what is the, you know, how does someone get MS, you know, and that's where I, as I kind of dove in the website, found yeah. that there really is no clear indication. So talk a bit about that. Yeah, so we don't know yet, um, but we we are getting closer. Um, so our our kind of tagline this year for Walk MS is we're putting a cure for MS on the line, right? We're, we're getting there. Um, this year alone, we did find a link. We don't know quite what that link is yet, but there's a there's somewhat of a link between the Epstein-Barr virus and developing MS. So that was a, a huge breakthrough that we came through. Um, there are definitely some factors that seem to, at least we, again, we don't know what causes it, but may trigger it. Right. So there's things like a lack of vitamin D, um, that could be from, you know, the latitude at which you live, um, or, you know, for example, like people that, you know, it could even be absorption of vitamin D. So if you live down in Florida and you're constantly putting on sunscreen your whole life, which is great, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, it may also block that absorption and you might be low on vitamin D. So that might contribute to it. Um, we also know there's something in genetics right now that makes you more predisposed. So for example, like it's, I don't think it's strong necessarily as breast cancer, but you know, if your mom has breast cancer and your, and your grandma has breast cancer, you're more likely, unfortunately, to develop that. That seems to be somewhat loosely tied in MS as well. Um, we also know there is some kind of a traumatic link, whether that is having a disease like the Epstein-Barr virus or mono, something of that nature or some kind of like traumatic incident. Um, we're not quite sure yet, but there's a lot of things that seem to contribute into it. Um, but again, that's really what we're really pushing towards is raising those funds. So number one, we can provide the support and services so that the navigators are there when people like me need to call in and need help and guidance. Um, but also so we can continue that research, we can con you know continue to fund researchers that are early in disease, um, to help find those links that are really going to help us, number one, repair the myelin, repair those, those you know, nerve sheaths, but then also, you know, move us into the future with medications as well. So there's a, there's a lot to it. And right now we're just, we're not, we're not sure, but we're getting closer. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one things that I was, you know, kind of intrigued about. And I mean, I'm not someone that's really into science or that was never really my forte. Neither was math, <laughs> which is why I do what I do. Yeah. But I, but it was, it, but it's interesting the way that it said it, it's basically, like you said, it's not, 
there's nothing right now that you can point to that is definitely genetic, although there could be some correlation there. But it says that, yeah. Yeah, that the, it's a, the right combination of genes is exposed to some sort of trigger in the environment. And what you don't know exactly is what, what is that exact trigger? And it could be multiple triggers, you know, depending on the, on the individual. So a lot of the research is going into immunology, so the study of body's immune system, the epidemiology, so the study of disease patterns, genetics, as you already mentioned, you know, is there a correlation with genetics if it's, you know, passed down, you know, um, and also infectious agents and viruses. But what we do know is that it, that MS is not a, you know, something that can be passed on, you know, as a virus. It's, it's something that. Yeah, well, absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, but the, the, you know, obviously there's something that's a, that I saw as far as the immunology that there could be an abnormal immune response that causes inflammation and damages the central nervous system. Um, and I guess that's what you're talking about as far as the, like the, you said, the iPhone cord or, you know, the charging cord, right? It's that inflammation or whatever that could, you know, cause problems to the uh, nervous system um, through inflammation. And it was, and this is where it kind of gets into a little bit, I saw a little bit more because it's always like obesity is always one of those things that kind of comes up as far as any type of, you know, whether it's heart disease or cancer, it always seems like it contributes to something. And it says that once again, it could be obesity could contribute to that inflammation in the central nervous system. Exactly. I think anything that contributes to inflammation is something, again, we don't know to what level it impacts your MS disease, but we do know that, you know, the less inflammation in the body, the better, right? So if we can limit that through, through your weight, through your diet, again, that's not something that alone, unfortunately, we've seen to control the disease, but in combination with you know, with support from your doctor, with the right medication, those things can make a difference. So then let's, let's talk about, you know, managing MS as you just kind of hit that, that topic, you know? Um, so you talked about medication, you know, and you said like there's 20 different medications right now. Yes, we, that has been a huge breakthrough for us. Um, we've, we've contributed over a billion dollars, um, to MS research and, um, we just had a campaign where we reached over a billion dollars, which was incredible. Um, I think 1.8 now. Um, but, you know, those medications are essential because one medication isn't necessarily because people are so different in where their disease is, what their symptoms are, how it impacts them. Again, we don't know exactly why one person gets MS versus the other, right? So we have to have different medications because everyone responds differently. So having those 20 medications is key because you might take three or four tries to find the right one that works for you. Um, so that's been a huge breakthrough is having that availability and those different options. So, I mean, as, as you said earlier, we talked, yeah, there's varying degrees of MS, right? Could be the tingling, could be something that someone truly, you know, is unable to, I guess, walk, right? It, it you know, it could be debilitating as at least not being able to walk. So, through medication, I mean, obviously, if it's something as, let's say, as as minor as ting, tingling, you know, you, you know, that's not a, a huge thing. But through medication, for someone that maybe has having trouble walking, to what extent does that do they are they able to regain some mobility, all of it, and, you know, a little bit of it? I mean, is so, it? Yeah, the way. Sorry, uh, the way medication primarily works with MS is it really stops future flares. Mm. So unfortunately, if you're going through a flare currently, it's not going to necessarily stop that flare or to reverse anything. It's more to kind of prevent that future damage. Um, that's the main way that our MS medications work right now. Um, 
there are typically, if someone's in a really, really bad flare, like my cousin, for example, when she's was going through a really bad flare, um, they typically give like a dose of steroids to help control that inflammation and to bring everything down. And typically that will help a little bit if someone's going through a really acute episode. Um, but right now, again, all the medications are really focused on kind of more of that long-term view, which is important. So basically the sooner you're, you're diagnosed and the sooner it gets managed, then you're sort of kind of preventing from it getting worse. So you're sort of yeah. kind of buying yourself time and extending, you know, the your, your mobility or at least kind of halting whatever the in, any increased symptoms is what exactly. medication does. Um, and keep in mind, I'm not a healthcare professional, but yeah. um, you know, it, again, it's it's really between the person and their doctor. But you know, the again, it's kind of what we've seen is that the progression of your disease that you're feeling on the outside might not correlate to what's happening on the inside. So we always tell people like, don't wait, meet with your neurologist, get on a medication, not to scare you, but just so that way, hey, you're taking care of also what's happening on the inside to help prevent stuff happening in the future, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we always tell people, meet with your neurologist, make sure you're getting on medication because that's the number one thing you can really do to help yourself. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, right now there is no cure. So the best that you can do is try to, like said, you know, prevent it from progressing and sort of kind of manage it. And let's, let's, let's try to stop you know, the symptoms from getting worse or adding additional symptoms. So exactly. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. Now, uh, something else that I saw on here as you know, was, was rehab. And I think there was even occupational therapies so explain how, yeah. you know, that works. And, you know, is that in addition to medication or is that, you know, or is, does that depend on the case, the type of, I, I mean, I mean, as we know, I mean, you know, exercise and being physically fit, right. Is, is, so much more beneficial than just MS, right? It impacts every organ system of your body. And it's really going to, you know, especially with MS, you can feel really bad some days, right? You know, again, it's from person to person, right? But in my experience, you might have some days where you have that MS fatigue or, you know, and so having your body be strong and healthy, that might not stop your disease, but it's going to help you get through that, right? It's going to help support you overall and your overall health. Um, you know, it's, it does help to kind of manage some of those MS symptoms as well. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a really rigorous cardiovascular exercise, like running a marathon or, you know, riding a, a road bike, that kind of thing. It can be, you know, just doing light exercise or yoga or getting out for a walk as you're able, or, you know, doing a hand cycle. So anything that, you know, you can be active, it's going to help keep that elast elasticity you know, prevent that spasticity from happening um, and just, you know, keep you overall in good health and feeling good. Because I think the better you can take care of this machine you're in, the better, you know, we can help get you through that. Right, right. And then the the other thing was diet. You hit on that a little bit, but, you know, is there a special diet or is it more of the, what we kind of already know what is a good, healthy diet? So again, I kind of, it does actually, you know, I know this is kind of something where we're like, oh, inflammation, 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 right? But it really does make an impact. Um, and so, you know, again, you know, overall we've seen that the Mediterranean diet does help pretty significantly with inflammation. So there's not one way of eating or one diet that's going to be like, yes, this is the right thing. Or, you know, and also different people have different dietary needs, so it might not work for them. Right. right. Um, it's whatever's going to make you feel the best and feel the most powered up to help you kind of get through this. So, 
Um, you know, again, it's something where I try to follow that, follow that as much as I can, but again, it's, it's not going to be doable for everyone. And we just say, do the best that you were able to do with your situation, your financial ability, et cetera. So, I mean, I think we all know what an unhealthy diet is, right? I mean, it's like, you know, fried food and fatty foods and a lot of sugar. So basically not that anything, but that anything that is further away from that could be Mediterranean diet, could be something else, but definitely stayed away you know, or at least limit the, what we know to be unhealthy is going to help manage, you know, uh, MS. We do know that it does have an impact. Um, but I, you know what I always tell people too, life is short. If you want to have a donut every once in a while, have a donut. If that's going to make you happy and get you through the day and go, you know what, I've got an MS hug right now, or I'm feeling a little bit dizzy, but man, that duck donut really made my day. Right. Well, uh, yeah. And as I said, it's like, uh, yeah, having too much of it or at least managing or having less of those that we know are unhealthy. Never because even in, in, you know, any dietitian will tell you, you don't want to ever eliminate those type of foods, right? A food group or something that you feel is a treat, right? Uh, You want to deprive yourself of those things. It's just trying to um, manage it and, and, and yeah, and just sort of kind of control it. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, for me, it's Oreos. You know, it's like uh, you know, you, you you put a box of Oreos in, in my house, and I'm like, they're gone within a few yeah. days, right? So best not to keep them. Doesn't mean I'll never have an Oreo. It's just I'm gonna have them when I go over to my friend's house because I know I'm not there all the time. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a dog sit there. You know, eat an Oreo. You know, whatever. But in my house, I'm not gonna have it. You know, but doesn't mean you can't have it. So it's just just being healthy and and just thinking about those things and not eliminating anything and depriving yourself of of anything. So, exactly. yeah, so, um, we, you know, like I said, um, May 30th is World MS Day, which is about, you know, just get, raising awareness. And that's kind of what the, the purpose of this episode is, is to do that, to yeah. educate, to inform uh, our listeners, of, you know, what is MS. Um, so you just had uh, the MS Walk. We've got yes. September 23rd is the MS uh, Atlanta Peach Ride. So we get the, the ride come up. This is how you started and how you got involved. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us how, if anyone does want to get involved, whether they know someone with MS, whether they just want to help, you know, raise funds and support the cause, how does someone get involved? And he said, you didn't know how to ride a bike. So explain that process. Yeah. Um, so like you mentioned, so we do have, we did, did have our walk events. We actually have four in Georgia. Um, so we have Augusta, Savannah, Marietta, and Atlanta. Um, and those are always in March and April. So if anyone, we literally are a walk, run, and ride organization. So, um, you know, if anyone's interested, those always come up in March and April. Um, but we do have our Bike MS Peach Ride event uh, that's going to take place. It's a two-day event. Um, you don't necessarily have to ride both days, though. It's September 23rd and 24th in LaGrange, Georgia. Um, we do start and finish at Wild Lake Brewery, which is always fun. Yep. Um, and we also have camping and other festivities that are going to happen really in the heart of LaGrange, um, which is an amazing little city. So we have options ranging so each day, ranging from 22 miles to 100 miles. Um, takes you right through the heart of Georgia and into Alabama. Um, has some incredible vistas, really nice views. Um if you like climbing, we've got climbing. Um, if you like just kind of a, you know, good, nice, you know, we have some people that just do the 22 mile ride one day and that's awesome. Right. So mm-hmm. they might ride one day and just cheer on people the next. Um, so we have a lot of different ways to get involved. Um, you can be a participant. 
Um, you can be um, just a fundraiser and come to see the event and hang out at Wild Leap, um, which is awesome. I mean, just registering and being part of it shows support, right, for our community and for our sponsors. Um, you can also volunteer. So we always need people to man rest stops. We always need bike shops that are willing, you know, to come out and, you know, tune up bikes along the way. Um, we have a lot of companies as well um, that get involved, sponsor teams. Um, I know we have Georgia Power getting involved again this year. So um, we have an opportunity really for anyone to make an impact. And, you know, if you're new, obviously, maybe stop by a big peach, yep. pick up your of the bike if you're able. Um, you know, if you're brand new, we have several kind of ways to get involved and to learn to ride if you don't already, or if you're an experienced rider, um, ways to connect. So, um, you know, obviously getting a bike, if you go to bikems.org, um, that's kind of the first step, right? So that's where you can get information on the event. Um, there is a $300 fundraising minimum um, that must be met before you pick up your bike MS packet. Um, that minimum is because like all premier bike events, we are really committed to providing a fully supported experience. So we do have SAG vehicles along the way. We have fully supported rest stops, which obviously are important when you're riding like a hundred plus miles um, and really to give you that kind of passionate experience. But um, we do partner ahead of time with, uh, we have Zwift training rides. Mm -hmm. um, we also partner with Velo Pro uh, for, you know, kind of different metrics and whatnot. Um, and then we also have a Facebook group for participants to find local in-person training rides as well. And that's how I got connected initially was I literally went to our Bike MS Facebook, local Facebook group, searched and was like, hey, I don't know how to ride a bike, but I really want to do this event. Will anyone help me? Um, and I found Team Noodle, which is our um, kind of official welcome group um, at Bike MS. So if you're brand new, we're your people. Um, they literally took me on rides in the Silver Comet. Uh, dragged me on rides where I was like only 10 miles and suddenly we were 40, 50 plus miles. So we don't always do that, but um, they will push you to be the best you can be um, at your level. Um, but so learned how to ride the bike, started doing doing longer rides and then started doing bike a mess and um, attending the rides. And it's just, it's such a, it's kind of what you want from Bike MS, which is what I love. So if you're like, hey, I'm a hardcore cyclist, I do triathlons, I do all the things, um, which I've done one sprint. Um, but, you know, if that's your deal, you can gun with that 100 miles. And we have people that just love to race and take it to the extreme, right? Mm -hmm. If that's like your goal. But if you're like, hey, I, you know, I'm new, I just kind of want to do a smaller ride or just ride one day, we have that too. So it's, again, it's everything at your pace, what you want to get out of it. Um, we have a little bit of, something for everybody, which I think is what really makes it, made it approachable for me, especially going in. It was my first big ride that I ever did. So. Well, I, and I think that's great because I did, as you said, you know, not knowing uh, how to ride or knowing really anything about a bike uh, is going to be intimidating. So you guys oh, yeah. have, you know, through uh, Bike MS has sort of the infrastructure there to, and, and, yeah. and the group there to take someone from absolutely zero experience, yeah. giving them the confidence the training through, you know, whether it's WIF or the other program you mentioned, um, to get them the training and in-person groups to where you could ride together. Cause I think that's one, that's always 
uh, all, you know, fun. You know, fun yeah. And and you also have that sense of security as well, uh, because no one wants to go out there ride by themselves. Because what happens if I get a flat tire? What happens if I get lost? And just having someone there who can kind of guide you till you have that confidence, you can do it on your own, or you know, or or um, you know, and then kind of push you along the way to increase the distance. You know, gradually gives you that more confidence, so that by the time the event rolls around. You're 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 a pro at that point. You're an experienced yeah. rider. You're no longer a newbie at that point. Yeah, I mean, they taught me how to. I mean, my first ride, big ride, I rode with Clipson. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to fall with Clipson. Uh, you know, all that good stuff. But um, you know, not that that people will necessarily experience that. But it's you know, it's part of the process. And I think you know, again, you go at your pace and what you're comfortable with. But you know, it's an incredibly supportive community. Um, you know, there's a lot of bike marshals as well that have rode for 20, 30 years with Bike MS. And we have people stationed riding every single course. So that way, if you are, you know, maybe you're the only person who could make it, right? You know, at least you're going to be able to ride with a bike marshal or someone else along that route is going to be monitoring you. So I think there's a, a nice bit of that as well, too. And about how many uh, participants do you get at that event? Um, several hundred always, it, it kind of varies from year to year. Um, but we're, you know, we're hoping for a pretty good crowd this year, maybe 500 ish. So, um, it's a, it's a ride that's really, we have a great base and we're growing. So, um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, once again, if you're interested on the bike side, uh, is, uh, bikems.org. And then if you want more information about MS and, you know, the same place where I found all the research I did to prepare for this, it's nationalmssociety.org. Um, any other websites or, you know, is there one for, for walk that, uh, or could they go just to the national uh, site to learn more? About yeah, that? they can go to the national website or to walkms.org. Um, so pretty straightforward. And then just searching your local area um, for a walk or a bike near you. But um, we also have, you know, several other ways to get involved too. So if people are like, hey, how else can I get involved? Um, we have work in advocacy. So if you do have a connection and you want to help, you know, do work, give speeches about your experience, we have that. We also have our leadership class. So if you are an up and coming leader in the Atlanta area, um, we'd love to have you as part of our program. So there's lots of ways to get involved. Awesome. Um, so I will have the the websites and all that uh, in the show notes, so that people, if they want and they didn't, were unable to get it uh, here through the through the podcast, they can always go to our website and get that through our show notes. So we'll definitely share all that. Rachel, thank you so much uh, for for sharing your information. I hope uh, you know your husband and, and the rest of your family, you know, um, you know, are, are doing well and are managing MS. And uh, you know, much much love and and uh, you know health to them uh, as, a, as a go down this journey. I appreciate that, Dave. And we're just, we're really grateful to Big Peach and just, you know, you're partnering with us. It's, you guys are a staple in the local community and obviously in our in our athletic community as well. And so we're, we're really grateful for just your help in spreading the word, making sure people know that, you know, you can have MS and, and still ride a bike and walk and, and be physically fit and be a part of these communities. So um, we're really grateful. Well, you're absolutely welcome. And if there's anything else that we can do for you to get the word out, uh, you know, for any events, please reach out. And uh, you've got my contact now, and we can definitely partner up and uh, get the word out uh, to help support your cause and raise awareness for MS. So thank you so much, Rachel. And and uh, we'll be right back after this break. Thanks.
Big Pete's now sells bikes at our Brookhaven and Midtown locations. Big Pete's Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more. No matter what you prefer, with brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, We've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out the selection of bikes at Town Brookhaven or Midtown, right on Peachtree Street, or view our inventory online at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. And welcome back, everyone. So I hope you found that conversation, you know, informative. Um, I know, you know, there's things like I said at the beginning where I wasn't really aware of all the symptoms and 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 you know what it all truly meant um i mentioned do our you know uh, with rachel some of the things that i've kind of gone on with my own uh you know personally with my dad and you know trying to get some diagnosis and trying to figure some of that out because there's some things there that i look at the symptoms like well maybe he's got ms it could be something else entirely different um so it's something that while i don't have a diagnosis for my dad he doesn't have a diagnosis at this point he still has not been diagnosed with ms um, he did get a spinal tap. Um, so far, everything seems like it's he's in the clear, but you know he's got to meet with a neurologist, go over the results, and um, and you know kind of let's let's dive this into a, you know a little bit deeper into truly finding out what's wrong with him. You know he you know early on he had a, a lot of bad symptoms, and it seemed like it was a very severe case. But I think it was just over medication at a, you know, um, and that caused some issues that really you know, kind of gave us all a little bit of a scare, but, you know, good thing he's um, back, he's mobile, he's moving around, you know, you know, at this point he's, you know, 84 years old. So there's, you know, some things that, you know, a little bit of memory loss, a little bit of forgetfulness, a little bit of, you know, you know, stumbling or moving slower. That's just part of aging, but going through and kind of knowing, you know, is there anything else? Is there anything that we can do to address to, you know, maintain his quality of life? Um, and, you know, based on the, you know, potential symptoms, you know, and like I said, it could be MS, it could be something completely different. So while I don't know this to be, you know, for sure, uh, you know, a topic that would, you know, I would be personally connected to, it is something that I think, you know, we don't know. And, 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 um, as Rachel said, you know, it, it affects everyone at any age. I think mistakenly we feel that it's some, you know, uh, MS affects those that are much older. And I think it's probably because we wait so long for, to catch the symptoms and for it to be diagnosed. So hope this is informative, hope this helps you, your family or someone else that, you know, that, you know, maybe going through something like this helps you better understand, helps you kind of keep an eye out so that you're, um, you know, taking care of yourself, um, and you're maintaining your, you know, a, a very healthy and active lifestyle, because I think that's only going to, you know, help you in the long run for many, many reasons, but if it is something like MS, that it's, it, it does help manage that and sort of kind of slow things down and even stop them, um, potentially. So, um, 
Just so that you know, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you, September 23rd uh, this year is the MS Atlanta Peach Ride. If you want more information about that, whether it's fundraising, whether it's you want to go for a ride, whether there's some way you want to get involved, you know, it's uh, bikems.org. If you want more information about MS in general, as far as the research um, and a little bit more specific as to what we talked about, um, because this is the site I went to to really get prepared for this conversation and had this discussion and become a bit more informed. Um, and if you need resources um, and, you know, um, uh, specialist to to contact to help you out, it is the nationalmssociety.org. And I'll have all those links in the show notes. So um, like I said, hope this helps you out. Hope, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're able to maintain your physical fitness and, you know, those, uh, you know uh, those that are close to you and keep them healthy. So until next time, keep running, keep riding, and keep believing in yourself. See ya. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate, or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.